Good morning. Good to see you. Our worship band, uh, worship, man, I think I call them the worship, worship band uh, today. Did such, such a great job every week. And, and listen, also, when you see Colby, make sure you let him know how much you appreciate Colby, because not only was he presenting our graduates and playing guitar, some, halfway through the second song, one of his guitar strings broke, and he had to go back. You probably didn't even notice, did you? Anyway, he's that good. So anyhow, uh, so a lot on his plate. So let him know how much you appreciate him. And, and we're so glad that he's able to, to uh, be here and, and lead our, our, our youth, our students. What a great group we saw today. Well, there was an old country preacher, old, old country preacher, so old you can't even imagine how old he was. Really old, right? And he was an old country church years ago. And he was preaching with the old pulpit Bible that didn't leave the pulpit. The pulpit Bible stayed behind the pulpit right here, and that's what he preached from. No one used it, no one touched it. He preached from it. And he told his congregation that next week they were going to go through the story of Noah and the ark. And he gave the scriptural reference for them to read, to read ahead of time. Well, after the church was over and everybody cleared out of the, out of the sanctuary, a couple of teenage boys came in, got behind the pulpit, and started acting like they were the preacher, started impersonating the old preacher. And they saw that pulpit Bible, and they started reading through the text, and turned the page, and they noticed something interesting about how the text was put into the pages of Scripture. So they took some glue, and they glued two of the pages together. I believe that. Next week, pastor gets up there, and, and he tells them to go to the text, and he starts reading the Scripture for that day, and he says, Noah took, him, took unto himself a wife, and she was, and he turned the page, 300 cubits long, 50 wide, and 30 high. <laughs> he paused, scratched his head, turned the page back, and read it again silently. He looked up to his congregation, and he said, I've been reading this old Bible for nigh on 50 years. But there's some things in it that are hard to believe. <laughs> uh, today we're, we're looking at a subject that is hard for some people to believe. Uh, but sometimes I believe it's, it's not so much hard to believe, it's hard to accept. And that is this topic of the justice of God. The justice of God. We are in Psalm 5 as we go through Preaching through our Bible reading plan today takes us into Psalm 5. And so, starting in verse 1, it says here that David wrote this for the flutes, and he gave it to the choir master, which meant that he expected the choir master to perform this. And it says in verse 1, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning, give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. 
For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Father, we we thank you for this day you've given us. We thank you uh, for these graduates, especially that we saw today. Many have been raised in this church, and they've learned from so many Bible teachers and, and leaders and parents and grandparents, and they've learned not only how to how to graduate high school, which they've done, they've learned how to follow Jesus. And we pray that you continue to be with them in these days ahead. And as we look at your word today, Lord, we, 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 we see today this topic of your justice, your fairness, if you will. And show us today what that is and how we are to react to it. Lord, I pray that my words reflect the meaning that you've given them today in, the, in this text. I pray that your spirit will speak through me today and that this congregation will receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to give you three aspects of how God dispenses or gives his justice. Three aspects of how God gives his justice. When we're talking about justice, it's not just a negative thing. It's, it's this idea of fairness, just, right. right. So three aspects of how God does this. Number one, God graciously hears his people. Part of God's justice to the believer is that he gives us grace. Part of his justice, his fairness, is that he gives us grace. He graciously hears his people. Verse 1, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I pray, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. David has an expectation He has an expectation that when he gets up in the morning to pray and prepares his day and prepares his sacrifices and prays, his expectation is that God will hear his prayer. He has an expectation that God is paying attention to his suffering. And each morning, David prays to God and he waits expectantly for his answer. Why does David do this? Because he knows God. And he's walked with God. And he knows that God will answer him. When it comes to believers in God, the one true God, the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, when it comes to the one true God, he, with believers, he never gives us what we deserve. I want you to think about what I said here. When it comes to believers, God never gives us what we have earned, what we deserve. He gives us grace. He gives us what we haven't deserved. He gives us that unmerited favor, that something we did not earn. He gives us grace. And David is living in the time 
before this, this incarnation of Jesus Christ, before Jesus came to the earth. And any Israelite who knew the Scriptures, like David, knew there would become a time where the Messiah would come to save God's people. So David is putting his faith, unlike us, who we put our faith in the fact that Jesus came and rose from the grave and, and ascended, he's putting his faith in the God who had promised a Savior would come one day. That's where his faith is. He's placing his faith, his faith in the future coming of Christ. Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 11. Going through, the author of Hebrews goes through what's called the Hall of Fame of Faith with just some Old Testament believers who died in faith. And he says this in verse 32. What more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith these, these men conquered kingdoms they enforced justice they obtained promises they stopped the mouths of lions they quenched the power of fire they escaped the edge of the sword they were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war put foreign armies to, to flight they did all these things in faith and God strengthened them and gave them the ability to do these things through their faith. Verse 39 says this, And all these, though commended their, through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. David had as much faith in God's saving character as he could have, as what God had revealed to him. And God counted it to him as righteousness, as he did all the Old Testament believers. So that brings us to this question, is why does God graciously hear the prayers of his people? Why does he give us grace when we ask? David knew he didn't deserve it, yet he asked anyway. David was as much of a sinner as any of us. He was a murderer, he was an adulterer, but he was also listed by Bible as a man after God's own heart. And he believed that God would hear him. Why does God give us that grace when we don't deserve it, when we deserve his justice? Because of Jesus' work on the cross. When Jesus died, he took the wrath of God upon him. He rose again. He purchased salvation for all who believe. He made people right with God for all who believe. And so God then views us not as guilty, but as, as not guilty, as acquitted, because Jesus took our penalty. He took our punishment, which is why we call it, and while we sing about it, amazing grace, because it is amazing. We don't deserve any of it. You know, as good old Southern Americans... We're usually taught a good, strong work ethic. Work hard, make good grades, do well. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. No, sir. Shake people's hands, look them in the eye. All these things. These are fine. Fine and good things to do, right? And so we earn things. These graduates earned what they, work they put in, which is why I think we have such a hard time with the gospel, because we don't earn any of that. If anything, we earned hell. God gives us grace. For not our works, but for what Jesus did on the cross. And that's why we call it amazing grace. Amen? And we feel guilty because we didn't do anything. And that's the point. God did it all. Jesus did it all. 
we simply turn from our sins and believe. So God graciously hears his people. Secondly, God also rightly judges the wicked. And apart from Christ, that is everyone. Verse 4, he says, You're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Why is God so anti-wicked? Hasn't he progressed? Why, why, why does he hate sin much? Why can't he just say, oh, it doesn't really matter. Just, just you be you. Live your best life. You do you. It doesn't matter. Hey, true, be true to yourself. It doesn't matter what anyone says. Why, why can't God just be anti? Why does he have to be so anti-sin? Because sin, what the Bible here calls wickedness, is the opposite of the character of God. It's the opposite of everything God stands for because he is good. So sin are perversions. They are distortions of God's goodness. We've all broken God's goodness. We've all been there. So he doesn't tolerate these things. This idea of him not delighting in, not dwelling with them, is this idea of toleration. It says that God won't tolerate these things. What are, what, what's, what's sin? Well, the Bible lists them in, in, in Galatians. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, all these things. We don't do them because we're trying to earn salvation. We don't do them because God hates them. And he doesn't tolerate them. And the Holy Spirit comes into your life. He leads you to be more like Jesus, not more like anti-Jesus. What he says in verse 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You will destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. God's dealt with sin and will deal with sin in one of two ways. One, every person will be rightly and fairly judged for their sins, and they will spend an eternity in the place the Bible calls hell where the fire is not quenched. It tells us in there. People don't like to think about it. They like to think like it doesn't exist, but God's Word says it's there. Or secondly, those people who admit their sins, they turn from them, they place their faith in Jesus to forgive and save them, and they spend an eternity in heaven with God. Why? Because they earned it? No, because Jesus took the punishment they deserved when he was on the cross. Now, people have a difficult time with this subject of God's justice, the nature of hell, all these things. So, well, I don't believe in that. Yes, you do. You believe in justice. You just don't believe God is a just God. If I bought, went to McDonald's, which I'm not, but if I did today after church and got my children five chicken nuggets apiece, and I gave one five, another five, I have four, gave another one five, another five, and my fourth child, whoever it was, I decided to give them three. Believe me, they would notice. The child that got three would wonder why they got three. And they would say, what would they say? That's not, you know it, that's not fair, that's not right, that's not just. We all understand justice on a very basic level. It's why when we watch these, these murder trials where we know someone's guilty, 
We watched the trial, and everybody watched it. Think about this, this, this lawyer a few months ago in our area, or south of us, right? People wanted to know what was going to happen to him. They watched it intently. It's why when, when, when things happen, like horrible shootings, and, and people, and, 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 and the police get in and, and rectify the situation, and they neutralize the target, and all these things, it's why people rejoice on some level. Because justice has been served. People want to know that there's still a, 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 a consequence for wrong in the world. They want to know that. They want to know that justice has been done. But when it comes to God, we try to say, oh no, God doesn't do that. Well, yes, why would he not? You are created in the image of God. You think there should be a right and a wrong and a consequence and there should be grace and justice. But God's just going to willy-nilly say, well, it doesn't matter. It makes no logical sense. Because you and I both know there's such a thing as justice in the world. The reason why people have a problem with that is we, we're fine with justice. We'll watch it on TV all the time. We'll watch law shows and, and court dramas. But when the finger gets pointed at us, then we have a problem with it. When the finger points at us, we hire a lawyer. We make excuses when the finger is pointed at us. When the finger is pointed at us, we rationalize. When the finger is pointed at us, we make a case. When it's pointed at us, when we're faced with our own sin, we say, there's no God. But we know there is. Because God has put eternity into our hearts. Because no one escapes the justice of God. Even Jesus wouldn't, couldn't escape it because he took your sin on his shoulders. Look at verse 9. David continues. Skip down to verse 9. He says, There's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Then he says something interesting in verse 10. This is, by the way, this is a worship song. Verse 10. They're singing this. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. When was the last time in church you sung about God casting out the evil or your enemies? Well, that doesn't seem very loving, is what you would say. Wasn't that kind of harsh that David would say that? David is not singing this and writing this and praying this because he has a grudge. He's saying it because he wants God to deal with them. Because they've rebelled against God. They've rebelled against God. And who is they? His own people. The Israelites. His own people who claim to be believers. They claim to love God. They claim to worship Him. And he says, judge them, God. Judge them. And perhaps they will turn back to you. Perhaps they will turn back to you. That is part of his justice. So we see that God judges the wicked fairly, fairly. And number three, God lovingly blesses his people. He lovingly blesses his people. Verse 7. Back up to verse 7. He says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, went to your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. God blesses us when we enter his house. He blesses us when we worship him. The fact that you're here today, if your heart is here, 
not just your body, but if your heart and your mind are here worshiping God today, you will be blessed. But if you're just going through the, the motions, if you're here out of some obligation, or you're here because you felt like you should be here, but you don't really love God, you're not going to be blessed. You'll lose a blessing. And David says when we worship him, he who worships with deepest awe, this, 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 this fear of you, the more we experience and acknowledge God working in our lives, the more we view him as awesome and, and this good idea of being fearful, and we worship him for who he is. Because he blesses us when we do this. There's blessing in it. But even though we're blessed, when we leave worship today, we don't just leave on maybe an emotional high or something like that. We leave, verse 8, asking him this, lead me, O Lord. Lead me in your righteousness because my enemies make your way straight before me. David knows that if God is not leading him, he won't walk straight. Another translation calls this, uh, lest my enemies conquer me. That's how he translates it. He says, if I leave out here today, I'll be conquered if I'm not following you. If you're not asking the Lord to lead you and follow his commands, you'll be conquered. You'll be conquered by peer pressure. Oh, it's okay. I'm a Christian too. You can do that. What's the big deal? Oh, God's got a grace. He'll forgive you. You'll be conquered by your fears. Where we fear people and situations and others and groups of people and mobs and all kinds. Of, we fear them over God. We'll, we'll be conquered by our fears if we don't follow Jesus, if he doesn't lead us. You'll be conquered by the traps Satan sets for you, which are everywhere if you pay attention and look. If you're not allowing and asking the Lord to lead you, you'll be conquered by those and you will eventually Fall. No one is so good and so right that they don't need Jesus' help and leading. And if you think you are, that's pride, which is sin. But even if you fail, God's there. He's there to save you. He lovingly blesses his people because he's there to lead you. But if you fall, he's there to save you. And he's there to protect you. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. See, David says this, that when life is tough and our enemies are around us. Where do we go for safety? Where do we go? David was a king. He had 30 mighty men, and he had three who were better than them. And the mighty men couldn't get to be the three. The Bible tells us they weren't quite mighty enough. He had this inner circle protecting him. He was untouchable in many ways as a king. If you don't think kings are untouchable, fly over to London and try to go see the king. You won't get anywhere close or near him. He had protection, but where does he go for protection? He goes to the Lord. The king of Israel, 
most powerful man in the area, in the land, went to the Lord. Why? Because only the Lord can protect us. And it tells us right here in an interesting way that he spreads your protection over them. Just like a mother bird protects her chicks. Right? They won't let anyone get near the eggs, the chicks. They get real aggressive. Some species. You want God aggressively protecting you. Amen. And he will if we let him lead us. God spreads his wings over us and he covers us with favor. There's that word again, with grace. He covers us with favor as with a shield. Right? God blesses his people lovingly. And that's the justice, that's the fairness we receive as believers. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. As we close our time together with you, Lord, we, we talk about this idea of fairness and justice. and None of us deserve what you give us. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of you, Lord. But that's where you come in. And that's where you give us grace and blessing. Lord, as these graduates leave here today, I pray that you continue to, 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 to give them that strong work ethic and that desire to do well in life, but also give them that protection and that grace and give them that favor that they know they can look to you and that you're, you're, you're behind the scenes many times and don't even realize it. providing their way forward. Lord, as we leave here today, let us, like David, pray that you'll lead us so that we won't fall and be conquered. And let us go to you for protection in our lives. Not other things, but to you. Father, if there's one in here today that's never placed their faith in you before, never realized that they were a sinner that needed forgiveness, had broken your law, broken your code, broken your character. Lord, that you would, that they would today believe in you. They would turn from their sins and place their faith in you. You would save them today. You would make them right with who you are because of what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, as we leave today, help us trust you. Help us lean on your leading as you protect us. Father, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.